All thumbs. I spilt the baptismal water all over the podium. So, <laughs> If you're wondering what I'm doing. Fortunately, I had a towel here too. So, <laughs> uh, Okay. Book of Job. Are you enjoying Job? Uh, I have... I've always loved Job, but we all know it's a really difficult book, and I never really anticipated preaching through it, uh, but I was convicted that it was, it was something we needed to do, and I don't know about you, but I've benefited a great deal from it, and I've heard some comments from other people along the same lines. But we're going to be looking at chapter 21 this morning. Let me just read it. Then Job answered and said, Keep listening to my words and let this be your comfort. Bear with me and I will speak. And after I have spoken, mock on. As for me, is my complaint against man. Why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be appalled and lay your hand over your mouth. When I remember I am dismayed and shudder or shuddering seizes my flesh, why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence, their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, and no rod of God is upon them. Their bull breeds without fail, their cow calves and does not miscarry. They send out their little boys like a flock, and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and the lyre and rejoice to the sound of the pipe. They spend their days in prosperity, in peace. They go down to Sheol. They say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we get if we pray to him? Behold, is not their prosperity in their hand? The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How often is it that the lamp of the wicked is put out, that their calamity comes upon them, that God distributes pain or pains in his anger, that they are like straw before the wind and like chafe which the, the storm carries away. You say God stores up their iniquity for their children. Let him pay it out to them that they may know it. Let their own eyes see their destruction and let them drink of the wrath of the Almighty. For what do they care for their houses after them when the number of their months is cut off? Will any teach God knowledge, seeing that he judges those who are on high? One dies in his full vigor, being wholly at ease and secure. He pales full of milk, his pails full of milk, and the marrow of his bones moist. Another dies in bitterness of soul, Never having tasted of prosperity, they lie, lie down alike in the dust, and the worms cover them. Behold, I know your thoughts and your schemes to wrong me. For you say, where is the house of the prince? Where is the tent in which the wicked lived? Have you not asked those who travel the roads? And do you not accept their testimony that the evil man is spared in the day of calamity and that he is rescued in the day of wrath? who declares his way to his face and who repays him for what he has done. 
when he is carried to the grave and watch is kept over his tomb. The claws of the valley are sweet to him. All mankind follows after him. And those who go before him are innumerable. How then will you comfort me with empty nothings? There is nothing left of your answers but falsehood. He is answering there his friend, Zophar, his second response to Job. And what Zophar basically says, I'm going to kind of summarize chapter 20 for you, is that he says that wicked people never prosper. And if they do, their prosperity is short-lived. You could probably look around and find all kinds of examples of the reality of what he says. However, what we find is this, and we see this over and over again, and that is that Job has little confidence at this point in the words that he's hearing from all three of his friends. One of the things that comes through is his frustration. I think he feels like he's saying the same thing to the same people over and over again and is just not sinking in. And ultimately, ultimately we know this, that even though he says some things directly to these three guys, that ultimately his complaint is not against them. His complaint is against God. Job really feels like God has treated him unfairly. And as human beings, if we put ourselves in the shoes that he finds himself in, I would imagine that you and I would look very much like this, probably more so than he does. Well, we've talked a lot about that, or this, and that is that the words certainly can be helpful to us. In other words, encouraging words spoken by other people to us certainly very often are a strength, certainly very often are an encouragement to us. But that is not at all what Job is experiencing from his friends. Remember back in chapter 16, he claimed that he had actually become God's target. What he's been saying also about his friends, that that he's also become their target. That their words are not comforting to him at all. That they have done nothing to lessen or alleviate his hurting. That what they've actually done is increase it. I mean, what Job is looking for in these three guys is just simply a kind and consoling word, and he hasn't heard a single one. He just gets bombarded with the same message over and over again, and that is that, that only bad people suffer. You're suffering, and you're suffering a great deal. As a matter of fact, Job, you're suffering worse than any person I've ever seen suffer in my whole lifetime. I could, I, before you, I couldn't conceive of anyone suffering as much as you have, and you are. 
So, dear friend, what you need to do is just repent of your sins. And if you do that, then God is going to relent and relieve you of your hurting and your harm. And he's going to bless you once again. Job knows that he is repulsive to look at. Have you ever known someone that had some kind of an affliction that was just so horrific that it, was, it, just, it, it just wrenched your heart to even look upon that person? And you were not able to do that? Multiply that by about a thousand times. Job continues, even, even though he, can, he just gets the same message from these guys over and over again. He's trying to reach them in a place they're just not going to let him. But even though he doubts he will do any good, he continues to try to bring his three friends to a real understanding of his circumstances. And, uh, and, and really, as I said, a summation of chapter 20 is that Zophar there lays claim to the idea that, that evil people in the world don't prosper. And you and I almost want to laugh at that. Because we can look around and we can find example after example after example of people that appear to be very wicked who seem to be doing really well financially. And maybe in other ways too. I mean, it's, a, it's just an obvious fact to every person that has ever lived on the planet that sometimes very wicked people prosper, at least for a time. So you and I, without any help from anyone else, should be able to sh shut down the argument that Zophar has put before Job, that only, only good people prosper and the wicked suffer. History is replete of very wicked people and nations that for a time have prospered a very great deal. You and I have wondered at times why it is that we see very evil, very wicked people prospering. We wonder how that can possibly be. The only thing I can tell you to the, this morning is this, is that God allows it for a time to serve his own purposes, which are not clear to you and I, or clear to me and you. Some of you are struggling right now very much financially. Others of you have gone through times in your life 
where you struggled a lot financially. Maybe you didn't even know where your next meal was coming from. How would you have received it if someone told you that you're suffering, all your suffering, just simply because you're more evil and wicked than other people are? <laughs> Probably not much, because it's easy for us to all look around and see the circumstances and situations other people are in. One of the things that I've observed as I've gone through life is that, that even, even devout Christians very often do not do very well with great prosperity. It takes an exceptionally mature Christian to have great wealth and to not be overcome with it to the point you begin to believe that you deserve what you have and etc., etc., etc. I wonder sometimes how well I would do with great prosperity, and I don't think I would do very well with it at all, and therefore my God blesses me by not giving it to me. I don't want it. Don't get me wrong, I want to be able to live a comfortable life, provide a nice place for my wife to live and have good food on the table and, and that sort of thing, but I have no desire at all to have a bunch of money. And I think God has blessed me because he knows Keith probably would not do very well with it. Because it's very easy for, for people that are well off to begin to believe that they have what they have because they deserve it. And why do they deserve it? Because they're better than other people are. But just remember the humble life that our Lord Jesus lived. Remember the humble lives that the apostles lived. No place to lay their head. In strange places all the time. We know that some people that prosper a great deal are very ungodly, wicked, and evil people. At the same time, we also know people who are very devoted Christians who have prospered a great deal as well. But there ought to be a very distinct difference between the two. And that distinction is this, is that the unbeliever uses wealth to benefit themselves. The believer, on the other hand, to a great extent, uses their wealth to benefit other people. Just remember where Job was before all of this fell upon him. He was an extremely wealthy, prosperous person. And he knew that he was because God had blessed him. 
Now, Job, honestly, is still struggling with why in the world God took all of that away from me that he had given to me, and not only my wealth, but my family. With the exception of my, my wife is the only person left. All of my children, and very likely all of his grandchildren, were killed in one fell swoop. Job is baffled himself. He, one of the things that comes clear in everything he said from the very beginning is he cannot understand why he's suffering the way that he is because he loves God. He's always loved God. He's always worshipped God. It makes no sense to him. And the thing that bothers him most of all is this is what's happened to him and he looks around at all these other people who are obviously wicked and evil and they have no heart for God at all, but they are prospering at the same time. It seems as though at this point nothing at all makes sense to Job. And just remember this, that suffering is part of being a Christian. That is true for every one of us. God does not promise us that we will never suffer. He just promises us that in the middle of our suffering, he will be there with us, that he will never leave us. We will always know him to be present. Jesus said this, that if the world hated me, what do you think they're going to do with you? That's a paraphrase. Seriously. The more you live your faith, the more people are going to take exception to you. Worldly people. The more you live for Christ, the more offensive you are going to be to the unbelieving. And that's just the simple truth. But, the manner in which we deal with suffering will have every much to do with their impression of our God. If we suffer just like everybody else does, in the same manner that everyone else does, what does it say to the world? However, if in the very midst of the greatest suffering perhaps we've ever known in our life, the light of Christ shines very brightly in our lives and in our heart, and it's obvious to other people around us, what does that say? What does, that, what does that do with the unbeliever? Doesn't it very often drive them to begin to wonder if, poss if it's a possibility that maybe you know something or somebody that they don't? Where does this person get this ability in the midst of trial and tribulation to have joy and laughter?
But at the same time, we are still very human, and we wonder when we suffer. We wonder why. We've been in the same place that Job has been, not not to the point that Job is at. No one in this room has ever suffered near like this man has suffered. But we've all wondered in the midst of our suffering sometimes, why is God letting this happen to me? What have I done to him? What have I done to deserve this? And very often, you know what the answer is? Absolutely nothing. You are suffering simply because you are standing with and for Jesus Christ. So don't be surprised by suffering when it comes. And and, and even as I say that, let me tell you, tomorrow something might happen with me or with one of the members of my family, and I'm going, why did this happen? It's so easy for us to forget this. But we should never be surprised when we see believers suffering. We should never be surprised when we ourselves suffer. Our Lord suffered. And we always have to remember that God always has a purpose in and for our suffering. In other words, we never as believers undergo needless suffering. There's always a reason for it. And that reason may not have anything to do with our benefit. It may be to benefit other people. But we're all like Job, in, in a sense, we've all looked around at times, and, and, and maybe our life is a mess at that point, and we're wondering, why did you let this happen to me? And we're looking around, and we see other people around us that could, give, could care less about Jesus, could care less about God, and they seem to be doing really well. You see, there's a sinful nature still within us that encourages us to believe this lie from the pit of hell. I promise you this, you will suffer in this life. But as a believer, you will not suffer alone. Lord Jesus is right there with you. And when you are a member of a body of believers, they're right there with you too. And that makes all the difference in the world. So let me just say this to you. You know, we're a family here. There are people in this room, they're family. Not blood-related, but they are family. I have no doubt some people in this room would give their life for me. And I hope they understand that I would do the same thing for them. What a gift that is. What a blessing that is. That when we do suffer, we don't have to do it alone. And there's a strength that comes in that. 
But again, it's so easy for us to get off traffic. It's so easy for us to look around and see godless people living in what appears to be a very prosperous manner. Later on in chapter 21, Job actually says that God seems to be making little distinction between the wicked and the righteous. Even at the point that in death, there is even less distinction. We, everyone in this room was born at one time, and every person in this room understands that unless Christ comes back, that everyone in this room is eventually going to die. That's just a reality. We're going to have that experience. One of the things that really is working on Job at this point is, is I think this. He has such a high view of God that it makes his whole circumstances more perplexing. But in, later in the chapter, he turns again to this idea of death. He sees death as being this great release for him. He sees it as the only thing that's going to bring him relief from the suffering that he's going through. It's like he's longing for death, and, and you see this a number of times in this book, but at the same time, one of the, one of the most interesting things, I think, about this whole thing is Job never appears to even contemplate suicide. It's like it never crosses his mind. But there's a sense in which Job is still guilty of looking at death as the great leveler. In other words, even though people are, are, are unequal in life, that in, in death... Because we all suffer it, that it brings us all down to the same level. You know, we all come into the world, we may already have things when we come into the world, but we understand this, that when we leave this world, all of our worldly possessions stay here, period. That's true for believers, that's true for unbelievers, it's true for everybody. Everybody understands that. But as we've made mention of so many times in our study, this book is this, is you and I live way beyond Job. Job knew less about a lot of things than you and I know. There's been so much revealed after Job, because Job was, he's one of the earliest characters in the Bible. He lived a long time before Christ came. He lived a long time before that immaculate conception. He lived a long time before the life and ministry of Jesus and the, the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. He lived a long time before that. You and I live on 2,000 years on the other side of it. You understand this, that God has revealed far more to us than Job knew. 
And one of, the, one of the most important things we glean as we think about that is this, as Job alludes to, we've seen this a number of times. He just said, I know that my Redeemer lives and that he will take his stand on the earth. Does that mean that he understood Jesus Christ like you and I do? Not likely. Because we've had Jesus revealed to us through the Scriptures in a way that Job just simply did not. We know the rest of the story, at least a good bit of the story than Job knew. What I'm telling you is if Job lived the life that he did before all this took place, he loved God, he sacrificed to God, he prayed to God, he worshiped God, And he knew way less than we do. I mean, what ought our life look like, ought to look like, knowing far more. Because we know this, without a doubt, that death doesn't mean the same thing for everybody. It just simply doesn't. It is not the great leveler that brings all people to equal stature. Why? Because God makes a great distinction between the believing and the unbelieving at death. You and I understand this. We don't run to death. I don't imagine anybody got up this morning and said, you know what, I really, really hope with all of my heart and soul and mind today, the days that I, that I get to die. Anybody think that? Has anybody ever thought that? Maybe, maybe when you're in, you know, in a deep depression, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because life hasn't been going very well for a while for you and that kind of thing, you might have thoughts like that, but I don't imagine it's a regular thought that any of us have. Please let it be today. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Our confidence is not in ourselves, our confidence is in him. And I just want to warn you, the more closely you walk with Christ the more darts are going to come your way. Seriously. The more the hatred of the world is going to rise up in your face. It comes with a turf. How we respond to it says everything about what we truly believe. How many times do you think, but by the grace of God, go I? 
You know, all those people that you're looking, you're listening to that are all angry and mad about this, that, and the other and saying really bad things about other people and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just remember that if it wasn't by this very great gift of grace, you could very well be the most awful, terrible person that ever breathed air if God left you where you were. Grace is the great leveler. It's not death that makes distinction between people. It's grace, God's grace. What that means is God loving the unlovable. God loving his enemy enough to die for that enemy. Now, if that is not a powerful message, I don't know what possibly could be. But every day as a believer, we are called to die to the world and to live for him. Just remember Jesus pleading in the Garden of Gethsemane for his Father to deliver him from his coming suffering. Could the Father have done that? Yes. But you know what it would have cost him? You and me. We would have been lost forever. Steve Brown used to say this on occasion. I sat on his teaching for a number of years and he was just... He was the preacher that was just all about grace. Grace, grace, grace. Everything was grace. He said this to us a few times. He said, every time God gives cancer to an unbeliever, he also gives cancer to a believer so the world can see the difference. The difference in the life of someone who truly knows and loves the Lord should look very different than someone who does not. In it, with gentleness and kindness, would challenge those who are yet unbelieving to consider Christ. Job was surprised by his suffering, but we shouldn't be. We just shouldn't. And some of you have gone through some really, really bad, hard stuff. Really. Unjust, injustice done to you. Or injustice done to you. Don't be surprised by suffering. 
part of your mantra. It would be part of your life from now until death. That is your release from suffering. Until then, you can count on it as being part of your picture. The question is, how are you going to react to it? And what are you going to do with it? Let's just face it. You know, compared to most of the people that have ever lived in the world, you and I have got it really well, really good. And if you take all kinds of things out of the picture, I mean, really, literally, the, 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 the quality of life, the quantity of life, the length of life, etc., we have to a degree that no people have ever had in the history of the world. God gives us more and more life. Why? Because we know this is a gift from God. Why is he doing that? Let me tell you, in every case, it's because he's got more for you to do. That's part of it. There is no retirement from Christianity. <clears throat> Be honest with you, what I would say to you is this, is those of you who are retired, you ought to look at it as just giving you more opportunity to do what God's called you to do more regularly, more often, and whatever. Not to sit in your house and do not much of anything and not, not share with people, not you know, be out there. He gives us more time today on the average, and he's doing it for a lot of reasons, but one of those is to give us more opportunities to tell people about Jesus. So do it. Do it. There's nothing standing in your way but you. Amen.